guys, welcome to Cult Film and Review, the podcast where we discuss the films you love but no one else gets, and we see if they still hold up. Tonight is our hundredth episode. Not only that, but we're on a mission to save the president from a maximum security prison, only known as New York, because we're talking about Escape from New York. So let's just start the hundredth show. Your Hollywood system stole our sex and co-opted our violence, so there's nothing left for our kinds of movies. <laughs> I did not hit her. It's not true. Clopex. 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 Up yours, baby. Me and Bubba, my little brother, listen to you every night. Where in the hell are we? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for our 100th episode. We really, really appreciate it. I'll just get this out of the... Thank you. <laughs> Starting us off right. <laughs> Why did you react? I could have edited that out. Now it's in how there can, permanent. How can we not react to that fucking hack? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our 100th episode. And apparently Kyle's last. He Two just distinct died. sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just start over? No, I, no, no. Keep going. It's 100. Thanks for joining us for our 100th episode that's already a nightmare. Uh, I just want to say thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, 100 episodes. Uh, this is the weirdest uh, recording I think that we've ever done in the fact that it is uh, our 100th episode, right? It's Easter Sunday Yep. <laughs> um, that we're recording this. And isn't it like our two year like no, two years four episodes away four episodes away so we're well yeah it's a lot a lot of things culminating yeah in like one time it's weird it's very weird well technically I guess the the, the two year would be a month from now but sure sure still it's oh, pretty really, damn close yeah and yeah. it proves that we are able to commit to something look at that yeah first time. you know what guys if you had told me that we would be doing a hundred of these episodes. I would have said, yeah, probably because we have nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> probably, <laughs> definitely. So we said, like, hey, you're probably going to be doing this podcast for like 100 episodes. I'm like, what else do I have going so, for me? Yeah, probably. Did you have anything else to add to that? Or is that it? I just wanted to <coughs> let you know, like, just go back and, and, uh, yeah, you and, know, and reminisce and a little bit about where we've come and where we are going. Two years is, that's a, that a lot of life happens in two years. That's what I was going to say. Like, um, one of the things that I, I I'm most proud of is this this year especially because it has been I think everybody's kind of gone through like almost a life changing hardship this year that's in this room and uh, we still have made it here yeah every week to hey do this, this is the one constant man so. well you know that's that's I think for two reasons one because we all like hanging out with each other and watching movies and two because we've had a decent reception from all the people that are supporting us out there so yeah. you know we just. It's fun to do. It's, you know, podcasts are great just for a bunch of fucking dorks to sit around and talk about cool shit. And then to have uh, people actually, you know, give you the extra time to listen, you know, to what maybe, if anything, we would have something important to say. Am I the only one in this room who thought that Chris's speech just now was even more impactful because he's wearing a pair of like dark sunglasses. I think it's really yeah. important. And, it, and it's like nine in the morning. I just, yeah. I think it really, it really <laughs> showcases. Where Chris's head is now that we're at 100 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Now he's like, I don't even have to take off I'm fucking sunglasses. I'm basically anymore. hooked on heroin and you know ready to fucking. <laughs> I can't just, wait like, until ruin our, everything I, for everyone. I can't yeah. wait until our VH1 True Hollywood story. Yeah. <laughs> for our 100th episode, I do have a, a couple questions for everybody here. Ooh, uh, fun. And uh, did not, you introduce us yet? No. 
No, I haven't. So you know that- what? After 100 episodes, I think people know who the fuck we are, no. Kyle. No, they still don't. No. no, they don't. Well, we're always gaining new new people, I would assume so. So for the 100th time, I am joined by Kyle Smith. Hey, how's it going? Michael Salustio. Hey, everybody. And for the 99th time... Chris Willenbrecht. Hey, what's up? I'm so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> yes. I was about to say it, too. Am I, I like, the only one that's ever missed an episode? Yes, you, yes, are. you are. You know what? Now that okay. I think about it, get the fuck off of here. This is not <laughs> yeah. your 100th episode. Yeah, this is not. Why are you riding our coattails? You know, it's yeah. actually our more coattails. than... Our coattails. Why are you riding our coattails, bro? Coattails. <laughs> to be fair, there's, there, there, there is more than 100 episodes that don't, we've recorded. Well, we don't speak of those. Yeah. <laughs> Those are those are in uh, what we call the, the vault. Yeah, those are in the vault, maybe to be released in like what ten years on our thousandth episode. I feel like it's like Prince's vault. It'll never be open, and okay. it never should be. <laughs> 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 All right. So here's what I want to know, guys, um, and, and maybe this is one of them. Who knows that we're going to talk about today on our hundredth episode? Um, what is the most? What is the movie that influenced your life the most? What is the movie? In which way? Ever or on yeah, the, like that ev- we've done? Ever. Like the, it impacted you? Yeah, like your style of movies that you may like or enjoy or um, yeah. something that is just like your your A number one film, basically. Like what's influenced your life the most? I've got three. Which, no, I said one. Already. 100 <laughs> episodes. He fucking thinks he could just run this Dude, first stuff. it's the goddamn fucking headphones. I don't and need any now fucking it's the, rules. Sorry, it's the <laughs> heroin. It's I got heroin. three. <laughs> So pick one, Chris. What's your number one? Why everyone else is thinking? Pink flamingos, probably. Yeah, yeah. That's that nice. that movie, um, you know, like changed the way that I because before that I was just like kind of into horror films, and I was finding some offbeat like horror films and things like that. But once I saw Pink Flamingos, um, I was like, wow, like this, you know, this is. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because then you see weird shit like faces of death when you're a kid and you're like what the fuck like so you're always challenging yourself but that film like made me see comedy and like offbeat weirdness and like uh, uh like you know art in a in a different way like if you could call it that you know it's kind of become that over time so like and it shocked me like it was something that i saw and i was like what the fuck am i watching it and why do i think it's hilarious you know so it uh, yeah, it kind of made me realize that there's like some weird underground shit out there, even though it's not that underground anymore. And it kind of took me on this journey through like trying to find a, even more obscure films. I would actually, I, I would say, um, mine would have to be uh, Kira Kurosawa's Yohimbo, um, which if I mean Mike's probably seen it, but if you don't know, it's uh, it's a samurai film from the fifties. Um, you know, when I saw that movie. Um, I was probably like I don't know, 11 or 12, and I'd spent pretty much all my early years up to that point um, just really into horror movie and stuff and tracking down every kind of horror film I could find um, and just being, I would say, being a casual watcher of films, like a lover of movies, but kind of a casual watcher. And when I saw that movie, it was it, it did a few things. It, it opened my eyes that uh, black and white films can be amazing, um, foreign films can have comedy. It's a movie that has a really wacky, weird, offbeat soundtrack. And then, like, watching the movie kind of opened up the idea. It was like, oh, well, this movie's been remade into what is, like, the very first, arguably, arguably the very first spaghetti western, which is Fistful of Dollars, starring Clint Eastwood. And that opened up an entire new world of, of finding spaghetti westerns and stuff. And so, so that movie really is, like, what propelled me to be, like, you know, film isn't just something I just casually enjoy. It's something that I invest my time and effort into studying and learning about and kind of in, enjoying on a deeper level. Mike? I have three. 
<laughs> I, I guess the one that really, that I remember really turning me into like a huge like film fan where I like, I just wanted to absorb every film that I could get my hands on was uh, El Mariachi. For some reason, I remember first seeing that film and then like listening to the director's commentary over and over and over again because it, it, it made me um, get a real appreciation of how films are made and what it takes to make a film and all the little details that go with that to to hear uh of a guy that like did it for like 3000 bucks and he like he he starts like laying it out and starts talking about how he edited it and he didn't like that that was really like the big thing that made me want to I, I wanted to get every film then I wanted to see how every film was made I wanted to know the it, it's like it's like you know when you get into cars or something I imagine you want to know every little part and how they all work and you want to know about engines and carburetors and other things that I know nothing about. Um, <laughs> that's how I felt about seeing that film for the first time. Was kind of like, okay, well, how does a big budget film get done? How does that work? And and then and then it was it was like the idea of, especially with with cult film, that was kind of like it had a weird uh, cult following to some extent because it had. I guess you would call it the indie cult following in a weird way because it's still kind of one of those films like that and Clerks and right. all these other like really super micro low budget films that became like super popular. Um, it was a good time. It was a good time in fucking film, and th- and I feel like that's probably never going to come back because yeah, the internet and everybody does like a YouTube video now, and it, it's but back then it was kind of like that and Slacker and 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 those films like it made people think that they could do it, right? And then then digital came along, and then everybody was like, okay, let's do it. I feel like <laughs> it made film festivals cool. It absolutely you know? did. Like it, because I mean that was like, and then it was the same year that uh uh um. Reservoir Dogs, and then uh, ultimately Pulp Fiction won the Palme d'Or, yeah. and then that became a big thing. Like some kid from a fucking that only worked in a video shop that like never really even finished high school can right. make a big film and then win the like the most coveted you know award in all of yeah. film essentially. Like that's when everybody and Sundance was huge. Like I feel like that's not something that we see anymore, unfortunately, in film festivals. I hope there's a resurgence, but I think that's because. Because I think that's because um, a lot of major studios have sort of taken over the major film festivals, you know, mm-hmm. like so you're not getting that like grassrootsy kind of like, yeah, just some fucking dude who made yeah. it and on his own and made it by the, his own name. You know what I mean? So we might have a resurgence of that, but I don't think so. It's actually, it pertains to the film that we're about to talk about, but I ha- was on the way over here. I was thinking about uh, something that I wanted to discuss that pertains to Escape from New York and how. Uh, films like that can never be created again mm-hmm. um, because of where we're at in Hollywood right now. But before we get to that, we should find out what yours is. Yeah, my uh, my f- uh, most influential film for me was when I was in high school and I started getting um into like media productions and stuff like that. I I was like loved movies, but I wasn't into movies. Um. The movie that did do that for me, though, was uh, like a lot of my friends at that time were into horror. So I started getting into horror because they were into horror. And and one of the first tapes I got was The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And after watching that and being scared out of my mind, because I wasn't into horror films at that time, like at all. Um, that made me want to make movies just like that, because it was so like crazy and like never seen camera movements like that. And just the monsters were scary as hell and like the gore was fantastic. It was just, it made me go like, Oh, you can 
make stuff like this. Like yeah. you know, what's funny about that too is because like that that film too has a, a connection with me too because actually to get to El Mariachi, what ultimately led me to start following like indie films was uh, uh, Bruce Campbell's If Chins Could Kill book. It was a great book. I remember reading that book. I probably read that thing cover to cover like five times because it detailed exactly what you're like, how they made, how yeah. they did all those yeah. shots and how they did it on a shoestring budget yep. and how they, you know, they were using Vaseline on fucking things. Like that led me to to El Mariachi and then from there it was just like, oh, I need to ingest every little bit and piece yeah. of how yep. films are made. Yeah. yeah, it's a great film. That's, You're right. The Evil Dead did that for me, and that's that's one of the most influential films. Like, I mean, just for me, I've ever seen. Like, it, it's it's fun. It's scary. It's funny. It's you know, it's all of that. So, yeah. and it's what got me going into movies. Basically, yeah. your your answers may have gave this away, but what is your favorite movie genre and why? Who wants Kyle? to go first? Kyle, you want to go first? It's hard to put it into a, uh, a genre because I I'm just a big fan of like the antihero films which generally kind of have they can generally carry themes of spaghetti westerns and uh classic samurai swordplay films um but any movies that kind of have that kind of that 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 classic anti-hero the person who's kind of a scumbag but oh well i gotta take care of it i gotta deal with this type of thing that's like always been the kind of movies i've gravitated towards the most chris um definitely horror films i horror films are my favorite genre which is interesting that i would pick pink flamingos as like the most influential cult film because it's a comedy but like if i had to pick another it would be halloween you know like that movie definitely like seeing that as a young kid made me kind of obsessed with horror films and there's so many out there like i can admit and have not seen them all as we've discovered on this show but like that is the one genre that i could watch every single day and do <laughs> actually um and never get tired of it so Mike, I mean, it, it, I guess it's weird to say it on a cult film podcast because I mean that's what we do. But like my 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 favorite genre of film is actually, um, I guess you would call it a dramedy. Yeah, like I love black I, comedy, dark comedies. Kind of, but more like the the psychological. Like like I like a good Mike Birbiglia film, or like a <laughs> like a right. um, an Andy Kaufman would be another. Like anything Andy Kaufman does, I always like because it's always like heavy heavy handed drama. Mm-hmm. With like, like just a little bit of comedy. Like one of my favorite films of all times is Lost in Translation oh, because I love it. the yeah. absolute perfect mixture of I love that movie a yeah. beautiful drama, a beautiful like semi love story. But there's all these it it sh- there's there's a humor to it. It doesn't take itself so seriously all the time. Mm-hmm. When a film does that as perfectly as I feel like that film does it, like those are my. Those are the films I can go back to over and over again, and I have apps. Like I'll do it. I love it too because nowadays, like um, stand-up comedians have made a real big attempt to get into that. Like Louis C.K. has made a real big attempt. To, Dave Chappelle's kind of doing that yeah, too. Yeah, like a big yeah. kind of like. There's a big movement now. I feel from a lot of comedians that they want to do these kind of like indie dramas, but they all have this little layer of their comedy like injected into them, yeah. and. Um, I mean, yeah, so so the opposite of a cult film <laughs> in a weird way. Cody? I would say mine is probably, it's probably sci-fi. I really, because with sci-fi, sci-fi is so broad because you can get everything in mm-hmm. it. You can get comedy. You can get horror. You can get drama. Like, you really can. Like then, mm-hmm. uh, And I just love um, the idea of either, like, the future or space, like, 
the settings are, 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 are what really gets me. Industry. The communications industry, the jungle, um, <laughs> you know, gorilla. the velocity of Zinge. There's a lot <laughs> yeah. of things that just uh, draw me to that genre. I love it. I mean, it's it's always an adventure too. Like no matter if it is a drama or a comedy or whatever, so it's, there's always some sort of adventure with it. So I like sci-fi too. One of the reasons I love sci-fi and, and like like fantasy films too is because you can actually tackle some serious subjects. Yeah. In a world in a world that has no rules, you mm. like get to create the rules. I love that about those like sword and sorcery films. I like that you can kind of like okay, we can tackle issues like serious issues, but we can do it in such a way that I mean, if we want to, we want a bad guy. Let's make it a fucking dragon. Who gives a shit? Like <laughs> sci-fi, same thing. Yep, you yeah. can make up the rules in sci-fi as you go along. Yeah, yeah you be like fun. okay, uh, temporal displacement. I don't know. They end up in a world where uh, you know. You know, women are only existing, and you know, what mm. do men do? Like, you could do all these weird things right. with with those genres. You could have a planet of apes. <laughs> you could have a whole planet of apes. Like, yes, there it is. There's really it definitely so much. pushes the imagination a lot more than some of the other genres yeah, do. Yeah, that's why I love it. It's one of my favorites. All right, so I have another question for you. Um, this one's kind of a broad question, but it, we've done a hundred episodes, right? Um, where we started out and what we thought we knew about film to now is probably changed, right? Um, is there a movie that you, you that maybe someone else picked that um, has either like stuck with you or kind of changed how you view movies or a movie that you may even have like not rated well at first, but like over time it's kind of never left you, so you can't get away from it. So you probably would like it better. Um, maybe Repo Man. Uh, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, you know, something like that. Uh, Mike, do you have one? Um, yeah, I have one. Without a doubt, it's The Holy Mountain for me. I mean, and even though I rated that film, I think, a four. Yeah. I, I don't think I would change it because I still feel like the, the reason I think I, get, I brought it down one star was because I saw a lot of what I thought was his ego in the film a little bit. Um, but I remember that was my first... Well, it wasn't my first introduction to a Jodorowsky film, but it was um, uh, it was a reminder, kind of, of it, of how good of a filmmaker he is. And uh, after seeing that film, I just wanted to like ingest every single thing that I could find from his library. Like, I, I went kind of nuts and started doing, you know, entire like reading biographies about him, and 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 I wanted to know everything about how he came to make. The types of films that he does. I mean, I've always been into surrealist films like like David Lynch, but you know, it was a a moment where thanks, thank you, Chris, for bringing that film uh, to the show because it let me, it kind of let me see where a lot of the influence of some of my other favorite filmmakers came from and how much he influenced that kind of genre. Yeah. Um, I just fucking like, yeah, that, movie, that was that's yeah. the, that's the genre and that's the filmmaker that I feel like. Thanks to this show, I might never have kind of went to re-explore and then see it in a totally different light, which makes him now probably one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Now. Yeah, that was a huge, very influential movie for me as well. Like, definitely a game changer. Um, but I'll take the I'll take the next one since we're kind of going there. Riccio, that was a movie that definitely I had never seen, would have never picked up, would have never chosen for myself. Um, not a big fan of like martial arts or like, you know, Asian cinema or, you know, even horror. I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of that, but, um, that film like definitely made me realize that it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. So that movie 
definitely changed and changed and opened up that that genre of film for me. That movie impressed me because I picked that knowing you hate that style of filmmaking, and I just wanted to kind of test you and see. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, anytime I pick any films that are like a little out there, usually to see if I can get you to hate something or like something, which is the goal. And I'm glad you did like it because that's a badass movie. Yeah, it's bloody as fuck. I love that's that's a huge <laughs> draw for me. And then it just how silly it was. I mean, it's like you know dramatic but silly, and like the whole manga aspect, which I didn't really know much about that until you know kind of seeing it visualized. Uh, in a film, you know, I know it stems from like a comic, a style of comic, right? Essentially, yeah, it's a yeah, manga, so. yeah, yeah, a graphic novel. Yeah, I would say for me, I'll go next. We'll leave Kyle for last on this one. I would say for me, uh, there's two. Uh, Frankenhooker just for some reason has never left my mind. I, I, I have drawn like grown such a love for that film. It's crazy. Um, I, I don't know why. I mean, I rated it high from what I remember. I don't remember what I rated it, but I remember rating it pretty high. But yeah, it's one of those ones where I am like now a cult fan of that film. Like I consider myself like I love that movie and I like want to watch it all the time. Uh, the other one that I would kind of go back and uh, say that I and I think I said it in the episode, I, I, I didn't get it at the time and it has really grown and stuck with me uh, is Buffalo 66. Um hearing people quote the lines and like I, I quoted it the other day cause someone asked me if I knew how to drive, uh, drive a stick. And I was like, <laughs> shifter yeah, car. I was like, you mean a shifter car? And like <laughs> went through the whole spiel of how I, I, I drive luxury cars that shift themselves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't know. That film is just stuck. It's weird. Cause I didn't think Buffalo 66 would be the film that like has, I just can't get away from, but it is, it's one of those movies that I just can't get away from Kyle. You know, this is a this is an interesting question. I've been scrolling through all of these past movies that we've done before, and there's one that I actually rated it five <clears throat> at the time. I didn't realize how much it would stick with me and how much I would like it going into it. And that's Gummo. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I what, if I had pre preconceived notions about what the film would be. Um, and I had I when we reviewed it, I had seen it in the past, but not all the way through. I just remember bits and pieces of it, but but. Uh, I thought it was just such for a disgusting movie and such a beautiful picture. You know, does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, definitely. It it, it had a, a very impactful visuals and story, and it, even though it was kind of disjointed in some places, it felt completely correct for the mood and tone of the film. And I don't know, I just the, the movie. It's one of those movies that just totally caught me off guard because you like you you watch it and it's over, and you're like, what the hell? I just watched, and then you sit on it for a day. And you start playing through all the scenes in your head, and then it just keeps going. You just keep doing it over and over again, and then all of a sudden you catch yourself a month and a half later. You're still like thinking back on Gummo, Gummo. That, that was movies. no, that was me in Buffalo '66. So yeah. I get exactly what you're saying. I can yeah. agree with. I, I I completely understand where you're coming from, Kyle. That's exactly how I came into Gummo because mm-hmm. the only thing I had ever seen from Harmony Corrine was friggin' Spring, Spring Breakers, Breakers, and yeah. I fucking hated that film. Same here. And it, it irritated me how much like like hipster film fans were kind of like it's so fucking great it's great right like you know and i was just like if they're all like this like go fuck yourself like i remember <laughs> being really angry about it yeah. and never going to see gummo because of that because i just assumed based on that film that all of his films were like that yeah. and then uh i was i was glad to be uh like surprised yeah, that surprised it was actually it was like authentic not, yeah, yeah it was very authentic where that one is so glossed over and so well, i guess that was his goal but right. you know i still didn't like the, the way he did it yeah 
All right, guys. Thanks for joining us for our 100 episode. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about Escape from New York. So let's uh, take a break, and we'll be right back. So we're finally going to talk about Escape from New York. Now, if you don't know, it was directed by uh, JC, John Carpenter. Uh, came out in 1981, had a budget of $6 million, made $25 million, was filmed here in the U.S., and has a current rating of 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. If you don't know what it's about, in 1997, when the U.S. president crashes into Manhattan, a giant maximum security prison, a, convic- a convicted? Convicted? Why a convict. I, I know. Why did I say that wrong? Convicted bank robber is sent in... To rescue him. And ex-Special Forces operative. Yeah. 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 He's got all this. An ex-two-eyed human being. Yeah, he used to have two. Now he's got one. Well, we don't know that. Maybe we don't. Maybe he was born with Maybe one Maybe he eye. has two, and he wears the patch to be yeah. mysterious. Yeah. Maybe mysterious. he's just like, you know what? I don't like what the world looks like with two eyes. I would ask the question if anyone has not seen this movie before, but I bet they do. So we'll, <laughs> we'll skip over that. Okay. Uh, I'd seen it, but it's been a long time. I don't didn't remember much about it, to be honest. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> I was going somewhere. Important statements yeah. by Chris Willem I mean, I thought if I was going to get it in anywhere, I was going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> this is Kyle's pick. Kyle, why'd you pick this film? Um, you know, it's... Uh, I figured 100 episode. It's time to go back to John Carpenter. And, um, you know, I feel like I say this every time I pick a John Carpenter film, but I think this actually might be uh, might be my favorite. Um, the The movie itself has, like, permeated itself into various assets uh, aspects of my life. Like, like, one of my online handles is Pliskin. Like, I just... It, I'm just... Like, this movie... Has just affected me in, in in a broader way than any other movie has, you know. And then the fact that this movie has like punched itself into like this character has punched itself into other forms of pop culture and video games and stuff, because um, obviously that's who's this character is in like the Metal Gear Solid franchise is totally based off of this character. So uh, I, I love this movie. I just think it's a really fun action movie, and uh, I thought it'd be a great pick for number one hundred. All right, so uh, we've obviously all seen this film before, Chris. Um, and maybe you haven't seen it in a long time, Chris. Uh, <laughs> and maybe you're going back and revisiting this for the first time in a very long time. How? I mean, what? Uh, what were, you, were were there any preconceived notions going into this? Do you remember liking it the first time? I remember thinking it was okay the first time, and I was probably not as experienced of a movie watcher at that time. Yeah. Um. And then, so going into it, I was like super excited to to jump back into it because I wanted to digest it and hopefully differently than I did originally. Yeah. Yeah. And you got that opportunity this time around. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I just hit play and it happened to me. <laughs> no, I remember, uh, I don't remember where the first time I saw this film was. I, I honestly don't. I feel like I saw Escape from L.A. first, which is just terrible. Uh, you know what? Maybe that, maybe, that, maybe that helped you enjoy this one. I appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, because I feel like I saw Escape from L.A. on like Sci-Fi Channel first. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? I, saw, I definitely saw Escape from L.A. after this because I remember thinking, "Oh, is this like what is this? Is this a sequel or yeah. you know?" And then I remember watching it and being like, "What, what is, is this? this? <laughs> what did I well, just? How is this? 
related to the previous film. I think we have to be thankful that Escape from L.A. happened because I think as a 90s kid, uh, most of us like saw that character Snake Plissken because that movie came out. And then we're like, oh, there's Escape from New York, which came before it. Like, yeah. that's kind of how I like was introduced. Yeah. I was like, oh, this big movie, you know, with Kurt Russell. It was in theaters and everything, you know. And then it's like, oh, there was something that happened before this, you know, so yeah. introduced it. Yeah, definitely. That's the basically the same experience that I had with it. Um, let me ask you guys this, too. What this was, a, this was a pretty big hit. So what do you think makes this a cult film besides John Carpenter? I think it's the character of Snake Plissken, you know. I think um I think I think it definitely has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, a remake did happen in the nineties and um because of VHS and, you know, people were able to kind of uh people maybe from our from the younger generation were able to like explore and discover this movie. And like I like I said too about like how uh this character and references to this film have really like have really made their way into pop and all all as aspects of pop culture, you know? It's not just like this is a movie and then people like it and moves on. It's like the character makes his way into other films or other uh, into like different mediums within like video games and comic books and stuff like that. So I, I think it's I think it has almost everything to do with Snake Plissken. He's like the coolest antihero. He's like the best antihero there is. Certainly an iconic yeah character. You know what I think does this film <clears throat> a lot of justice to? There was a theme that was going on. I feel like in the seventies and the early throughout the eighties, every film took place in New York, <laughs> and, it, and it framed it as a piece of shit place <laughs> to be. And this one was just like, and it's gonna get fucking worse. <laughs> like I feel like this film really did that. Like if you think about it, like I remember, like even as a kid, like seeing it in like movies like Crocodile Dundee, where like this innocent Aussie comes to New York and immediately gets fucking like <laughs> like Rob. held up. <laughs> And then he pulls out a bigger knife and then he runs away. Like, I feel like every movie had to deal with it. You can't even do that in movies anymore because New York is like this totally decent, cool place to live. Uh-huh. You know? Like, you, you, Times Square is not this seedy place. But, like, going back to what you were talking about, Hadenlauter films and stuff like that, same thing. I mean, but oh, some of those, wait, did those come before this? 1981. This is 81. I'm yeah. trying to think what was the first real film to do. I mean, that had to have existed before. Yeah, I'm sure there's several fi- films. With it. Yes, yeah, taxi like, driver's yeah, a big totally, one. right. So, I mean, I feel like that was a theme and everybody kept trying to revisit it because as a kid, I just remember seeing so many fucking like action films and horror films. They all, all dealt with people going to New York and it just, and shit happening. Mm-hmm. Bad <laughs> shit was going to go down. Mm-hmm. And this film like kind of like just says like, you know, it's going to be worse in 97. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an actual prison. Well, man, was he wrong? <laughs> no, because, uh, you know, in 97, L.A. was the prison. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> did, when did when did L.A. come out? 97. So he, in a weird way, he came back and did it. Yeah. He it's, filmed it, or he, he, he released it in the year that this... That this takes place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he said, "This is oh, this is just as bad." Apparently, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. got the location wrong. Yeah, but it was shot ninety seven. Does it? Where does it go to in the future, or does it? I don't remember. Okay, wait. What do you mean? An escape from L.A. Is it present day or is it like nineteen ninety seven? I can't blah, remember blah, how blah. that starts. Doesn't it? I feel like it starts with him even... with immediately. Isn't it like right after the events of New York? No, I... they're they're unconnected films. They're completely unconnected. Yeah. 
Oh, I thought they were like somehow weirdly like, yeah, I remember when you survived in, you know, I thought you died in New York kind of thing. Oh, as far as I'm aware, I thought they were, I thought they were. I'd have to, I mean, I'd have to, I, I, I'd oh, have to reluctantly minute. revisit that film. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I kind of agree with Kyle in a sense that what makes this a cold film, but I also have a little bit of a different take of it. Uh, I don't know if it's so much the idea of Snake or the character of Snake Plissken or the idea of Snake Plissken that is what makes this a cult film. Like one of the things that I don't think you can do anymore that 80s films and, and earlier films that could that could do is you could create your own hero. You don't really see that in films anymore, right? Everything's kind of based off of things that are already established, like superhero films. They're already established characters. No one's coming out with a new hero. Except John you, Wick. You know, except John Wick, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that, you know what I mean? Like that is kind of like, there's no... Yeah. New John McClane's being made. There's no, uh, there's no new like heroes. I feel like, and that's kind of a dead thing because everything's based off of like either a nostalgic thing now in Hollywood, which is a big thing. Bankable things that they know are going to sell. Right. You know, where I think it was really cool in 1981 to go here's six million dollars, and you know you're inventing your own hero essentially, your own superhero, and. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the movie, you know, make it, which is, I also was just baffled by like, I feel like you give, you give, we also are dead in in the water as far as like filmmakers go, because this kind of angers me too, where back in the day, you give John Carpenter $6 million, he makes Escape from New York. You, now, you give someone $6 million to make fucking Sharknado. Yeah. Like... You know what I mean? It's it's I don't know where I mean six million was different than it is now, like as far as spending goes. But if you can get a lot more out of six million dollars. What do you think now. would be the equivalent to that? Like a like a like 12? a fifteen, twelve? Yeah, maybe twelve. Yeah. yeah. But but what filmmakers do we know that are doing to Cody's point, like I'm a trying tw- to think a like twelve million dollar action film. Yeah, who's doing like a twelve million dollar action film and that also like kind of like spawns like a whole well there's not Mike, a lot of John Carpenter people. <laughs> turns out turns out they're not, but the market is wanting those. So oh, man. filmmakers need to get on making action films because we think about it, we don't have any like uh, you know, I don't mean to compare the two, but we don't have any Jean Claude Van Dams or Chuck Norris's or no. you know, any of this stuff yeah, like Dwayne the John John not, Dwayne uh, Johnson. That's not maybe. to say it's yeah. not the same. Like but he ain't been <laughs> <laughs> we don't have Steven Seagal's, like really, like not not in like the world that they that they were in in like the eighties and nineties, yeah. yeah. you know. So, I mean, I think it's a it's a it's kind of a missing genre. Yeah, it's in in it is weird because we don't have like like Snake, like Snake Plissken is an iconic character because I mean it spawned all these other worlds and it's an original character mm-hmm. and you know and if you go off of this movie you don't get that much background on Snake Plissken. No, like no. Really. I mean that. So that aside for like a deleted scene, I mean you don't really know because the movie was supposed to open with uh, his botched bank robbery where he gets where he gets nabbed, and um, I think the reason John Carpenter cut it out because he didn't want to open the movie with Snake failing at something like showing that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know, I kind of you know like I lo- that decision. Me too. Yeah. And for another reason though, because one of the things I love about this film is the fact that. Um, they frame his entire backstory with just one phrase, which is, I thought you were dead. Yeah, which is and, great. And and they never explain it, why why they thought he was dead or where they thought he died yeah. or anything. Yeah, it well, just gives you the impression that, okay, so this dude's been on, like, has a storied history well, yeah, of and, getting and, into shit and no one knows where he goes. And it's really, <laughs> it's really interesting, too, because it's like all these people know of him and it's like it yeah. just leaves you wondering, like, do they know of him because of, like, his work as is part of like the special forces unit and like that, or because of like his is is he like this like 
huge series of fucking crimes and robberies that made him like super famous. He's like kind of this like you know the, the the this hero. You know what I mean? This hero esque character, like, like the Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood. Guy. Like, you just you just don't know enough, and that's what makes it so cool. And that's why I I agree. I think it's a amazing decision to remove that deleted scene and just have. Him walk in being this mysterious character that everybody knows. I mean, right. Kurt Russell could probably make an entire career off of playing old characters that he played in John Carpenter films <laughs> that have backstories. Because that's like exactly like um, um, uh, in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you get the impression that um, Wang and, and him are like have been on adventures before and they've yeah. been hanging out. I like that. I like that about films. It's like It's like everything that everybody bitches about for superhero films, like, oh, we gotta go through the origin story, we gotta go through all this bullshit. Like, John Carpenter created new characters and was just like, fuck an origin story. Let's yeah. Just go right into it. Yeah. yeah he's he's, he's well, a badass. He's got yeah, a he captures angel. that moment yeah. of time in the, in their life. Yeah. Of, wait, whatever the adventure well, is, and gives you enough, gives you enough to be satisfied, but, and, 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 but leaves you asking questions, with, Yeah, the, with, with most John Carpenter films, less is more. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, you know, it always is. Like, they just give you little pieces of of dialogue to for your imagination to go wild and create whatever happened before. Yeah, and then and that's like the, I think I feel, I feel like that's a that's an aspect that's just lost on a lot of filmmakers in general. Is like you don't need to show and say everything. Like for the love of fucking Christ, like <laughs> as an as as a fan of watching movies, the best part about watching a movie is being able to use your imagination and help propel the story along further. I don't want to be spoon-fed this story that you thought was cool and came up with. Like I I wish I wish more directors would just be like, "You know what? Fuck it. You don't need to know all everything about this character. You don't need to see everything about this thing. Just use your imagination and make my film better." Like that's how I wish filmmakers would approach it. And John Carpenter nailed it on all of his movies. Right, cuz you get the um with this, especially with this movie, what you open up with um basically finding out that in was it 1980 what uh, was the crime rate five, rise? 5 I think they were yeah, raises 4 1984 19, 1984 the crime yeah. rate rose 400%. Right. <laughs> I love Jamie Lee Curtis coming in on that one too. Dude, it's I not would... the first time she's done it. I know. Yeah. She's like a big uh she's What was the other film that we did that um she was the voice on like It the... was a phone call in um uh, in Halloween all... 3. Oh yeah, was it Halloween three? I think it was Halloween three, season of the witch. Isn't she, she's a operator, operator that they yeah. did, they call? Yeah, yeah, she's at the radio station at the end or whatever. Uh huh. So we realized that, and then in 1997 we realized um, uh, that <laughs> they build a wall around Manhattan uh, uh, and they make the Mexicans pay for it. But they build a wall around Manhattan. Horrible. <laughs> 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 and uh, <laughs> they. <laughs> They basically turn it into a prison, and that's where they they put all the worst criminals. Uh, you have the option before you go to this prison to basically die, yep, kill yourself, and get cremated if you want. Just let the guards know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how bad of a place it is. They give you that sense right off the bat. They don't, I like that they don't. They just give you aerial views, yeah, of it, and they don't let you see the streets and like being overrun and like crazy. Like it doesn't look crazy from a distance. It looks yeah. oddly peaceful. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's you know it it. it it, it's something that that having a low budget really helped to to you know if they had a bigger budget yeah they probably would have shown a lot more but like not having that budget helped to make the make the location seem that much more darker or grandiose or mysterious you know well the location stuff is brilliant too they shot it in East St Louis 
which it, after it suffered like a huge fire in I think 1976, so a lot of it was like burnt down mm-hmm. and, and rough. And then like I don't know how they did the backdrops and made it look like New York, but they turned East St. Louis. A lot of model work. Yeah, it's not it's not too hard. I mean, like. I, I remember seeing, I think, I might have even said it on this show one time, I remember seeing, like, uh, like some kind of BuzzFeed post or something like that where they where they made a thing where they were like, tell the city by the street, you know? It's like Portland, uh, you know, uh-huh. uh, Philadelphia, New York, or the which one is New York? And then no matter what you click, none of them were New York. Right. But they all looked like New York because yeah. a lot of the East Coast cities... Mm-hmm. A lot of old cities just look the fucking same. There's not really nothing you can do to get away from that. Right. You know? Right. So I can see them using St. Louis and just being like, yeah, we can get away with it. Yeah. But they did use a shitload of model work. They they yeah. built yeah. a a full-scale like model of uh, the island of Manhattan for all those intro shots with the and like the water was actually was was real. So they they filled the the sound stage with water to make it look like the Hudson and stuff and um and then the other stuff, I, I mean, I don't know if we want to dive into special effects right now, but this is one, this is one thing that I just think is fucking fantastic is um, when Snake is coming in on the glider and he's got the digital heads-up display of yep. the city and stuff, mm-hmm. that was just a model city that he's looking at, and all they did was they used, like, uh, like strips of, like, luminescent, like, tape, okay. and they outlined the buildings, and then they just shot it with a color on, the, on those, like, white strips to make oh, it look light. like a green digital heads-up display, and it's just... All this is an actual camera flying through a model city. That's really cool. Yeah, it's God like damn. so fucking cool. Yeah, no, I, I I read that too, and I thought that was some of the coolest special. Like they did so many cool, but then you get, then again you had James Cameron working it's on this Carpenter. film. No, James Cameron worked on this film. Oh, did he? in the special effects? Yeah, mm. um, nice. Yeah. I did. They you know that's something I did not know. Yeah, yeah. that's great. It's isn't that crazy. Like. Well, yeah, one of the other biggest di- directors in like the sci-fi action yeah. genre like yeah. worked on this film. Mm-hmm. Um, there ca- were some things though that I will say like down view. You know, it had to tell the audience what it was looking at, like because it was like a three D. You know, like the three D imagery and stuff like that. It's probably something we weren't used to seeing at the time and like didn't know how to perceive it. So they're like down view, up view. <laughs> oh, the labeling of of the yeah. glider. You mean? Oh. Yeah. yeah. That's your big quarrel with yeah. the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they labeled things. Oh, it just seemed a little. And I thought the intro was a little kind of weird too. Like, which one? What do you mean? Like where she's explaining, like reading the text that's basically on the screen. Like I don't know, it just felt a little. I like that. Yeah, I, so didn't, I don't. Yeah, I didn't mind that only, either. I kind of like narrators. My to... only problem with that, which I have this with every film that does this, it drives me insane, is when it gives you a year. And then it says now. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just take the now out, and I'm cool with like a alternative universe 1997. Like, yeah. I can play that off in my mind and accept I it. I remember when everything used to be like 20XX to like establish, like, it's definitely sometimes in the new millennium. But like, it could be any year. We don't know. <laughs> just definitely not 2100. I think they did that in the movie Hardware. Oh, did they? I yeah. think they do. They did it a lot in a lot of weird films to, to suggest that the new millennium is the. Time, but I, the, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. This uh, this movie, man, it, it does open up pretty uh, pretty cool. You get to see like like I said, just being at that prison is cool. All the helicopters taking off, and then like like what the fuck's going on here? They're blowing up people out of the water. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Snake shows up, and they're walking him through a corridor, mm-hmm. and that's all really cool shot. I like that stuff too. It really establishes the the the, the prison unit. 
Uh, oh man, I almost forgot the most important open shot. Let's talk about that because that's really changed now. We can't do that anymore. Can't fly a plane into New York. Oh my gosh, right? Anymore. It, it definitely. Like, there's a lot of stuff in like like I mean, and I know it was a joke to say, you know, like you know, let's build a wall, you know. Yeah. But like, there are a lot of parts of this film where it's just like you look at it now in the context of where we are now. Yeah. And it's like. Whew. You know, like, yeah. like, oh, yeah, that was a reality. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And, and that was definitely one of them. Yeah, watching a plane fly into New York City, uh, it was kind of like... Air Force One of all yeah, planes as well. It was such a weird... <laughs> I mean, it was... It, it has a different, a definite different meaning. Now, um, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of weird that a film can age like that and give you a different feeling than maybe when you originally saw it because of actual events that I mean, happened. just the, the amount it's of weird. times that they even talk about the World Trade Center being... Right. Like, where would they land the glider? Well, it's got to be on the top of the World Trade Center. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then now and now living in a world where that, that skyline doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of sad for a film that's supposed to be just good, lighthearted, like, action, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's not supposed to be anything too heavy-handed. It's hard now not to watch this film and, and get that because... Yeah. It, it talks about a glory time of, of New York that doesn't exist Makes anymore. Makes me due wonder, to that day. though, if like John Carpenter was tapped into something. Like, like he kind of looked at the world around him and was like, what's some terrible shit that could happen to well, us? This like, was, I think he based the script off the Watergate scandal. Is from that... what I from re- what I read, like he based it, he because he, he wrote this in I want to say seventy, I want to say seventy six, and then I think Nick Castle was brought in to make it more New York. Uh, and made the character Cabby. He came up, I think Nick Castle was the guy who came up with Cabby, who actually, Nick Castle played uh, Michael Myers, if I remember correctly, in the first Halloween. No, Tony Moran did. Uh, he was something with Halloween. He did something with Halloween, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not mistaken, because it was co-written. Is co-written? Co-written. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> by uh, Nick Castle. So I don't know, he was wrong about some stuff. New York, I mean... No, obviously. It's hard to go to New York now and see this New York. It just doesn't fucking exist. Right. Like, I mean, I understand at that time it was like, listen, I feel like with him, and, and we see this in like films like They Live and, and other films where it's like, he, he's really tapped in on the idea that like, okay, if things keep going the way they're going right now, this is inevitably going to happen. I feel like he was wrong in a lot of that stuff. I mean, New York, I don't even look at New York City as being a dangerous place anymore. No, no. It's a place you can walk around in the middle of the night and nothing's going to happen. Maybe not tapped in necessarily to New York specific, but just like to the things that are going on in our culture and like what they could lead. Like, because I would say they live as like that as well. Like, it kind of makes a similar type of point. That's more of like a a socioeconomic thing. This is more like a crime thing. Yeah. But like, I mean, the, at least the crime thing I feel like has not happened. I feel like I mean, there's doesn't feel like a th- gonna, this, this danger. Hold on, like yeah. the Warriors. Going back, going back to what Cody said, uh, Nick Castle did play Michael Myers in the first film. Oh, you fucking yeah. lose! How is that yeah. possible? That Cody's right about something. And his face is upset. <laughs> Chris's face is upset. Okay, well, I stand, I, <laughs> his world just came crashing down. Who's Tony stand, Moran? Yeah, who is Tony Moran? Why am I? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is is that, that a that, movie? Yeah, is that what is that? Who is Tony Moran? Let me see. I want to look. He's a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know. I'm probably spelling his name wrong. Why does it say actor Halloween? Michael Unmasked, played by actors Nick Castle and Tony Moran. So oh, we're both correct. It just still fucking wow. twists on the show. Oh, man. This is like an M. Night Shyamalan episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was interesting. Yeah. 
Okay. So, <laughs> so they hey, learning with Cole film and review. <laughs> film facts with Cody and Chris. I like how like you know like seventy five percent of our audience is like these guys are fucking idiots. Yeah. Oh yeah, who that, didn't know this? I know. I know yeah. they all think that. That's fine. That's why I'll <laughs> cut all that out. No, that's the beauty of the show is that we're not here because we know everything. We're here to have fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. So does anyone have like um, a, a favorite scene? Yeah, I, I really like the uh, I like the fight with the baseball bat in the ring. I thought that was that, that was scene. fun that was to watch, scene. and I was like, that is a good scene. I was like, that's cool. It's like a wrestling match, but Cody was that some kind of wrestler? That yeah, he was a wrestler. I forget his name. I can't remember, but ox, he was a wrestler. Ox something. Uh, ox something. Yeah, it's ox something. The uh, dude, obviously, that dude was huge, man. Yeah, he was gigantic. Although I did feel like the scene was cut kind of weird because like I would have just preferred to see the whole match start to finish, but they kept cutting back to like Adrian Barbeau and Brain. Yeah, like, and I'm like, why do they keep intercutting this shit? Like, because there's, there, there's, there's a story are, yeah, going a story on behind go, yeah. the scenes. I know. I just feel like that. It just was jarring to me. But I liked the scene a lot. Like, I liked the way that it came to a finish. You know, like yeah. him basically popping up behind and just thunk, and it was just done over. Yeah. And then suddenly like it gets interrupted, and everybody leaves and forgets about Snake Plissken. Yeah. And the fucking, he's just like, <laughs> all right, I'm out of here. Way better way to like ha- have challenge snake going back to uh, escape from LA. I'm sorry, the free throws. Come on, dude, that was so cool. Not sick at all. <laughs> oh, not oh, sick from at all. Escape so from LA. Cool. Escape from LA. Yeah. 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 All right. What about you, Mike? What's your favorite scene? I, I easily. Um, and only because I feel like John Carpenter in 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 all of his films does this particularly well. Um, it's when the crazies attack that that building. He's so good at like. Making a zombie film without making a zombie yeah. film? Like it's I the know. same thing from Assault and Freights to 13. Yes. It's the same thing as like uh, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. There's a scene where like people are jumping through windows and shit. <laughs> it's like this idea of being in an enclosed place and just having fast-paced people just throwing themselves at you. Like yeah. waves and waves of just un- yeah. unfaced, like faceless like enemies yeah. coming at you. And they did the exact same thing in this film, yeah. and I fucking loved that it. That is my Coming favorite the scene too. Floors. The sewers. <laughs> that's, no, that's my favorite scene too, dude. It is the scariest part of this it's movie. Intense, and it is so intense, dude. And you're like, oh my god, he's just. Run- They're all like running I love like the corridors, chase. Yeah. dude. Yeah. I'm like, okay, none of these people are going to be able to keep up with Kurt Russell. He's climbing shit. That is super hard to climb. These there's like six of them hanging on, yeah, like, like just, monkeys, yeah. dude, just swinging from bars and shit. Like, like it's crazy, dude. He does. He makes zombie film. Like I wish he would have made a zombie film at some point because his zombie films in his, his little zombie <laughs> films in his movies, yeah. are like the best parts. Like it's crazy. I'd probably say one of my favorite scenes um, is actually at the beginning of the movie when he uh, first gets into New York and he goes into the um, the movie theater. Oh yeah, and he makes his way downstairs into like this really. I thought I felt like that was the first time in the movie where you really got you, you got hit with two things like back to back. You got hit with this like ridiculousness. You're like, well, I guess a bunch of criminals need something to do. They'd probably dress up as women and put on plays and shit. But then you get down, he goes down in the basement and it's just this really seedy, yeah. disgusting kind of underworld thing that's going on. And it's also the first time you see Snake Plissken be a badass because two guys jump him and he fucking, one elbow here, like a fist here, and they're fucking done. It's like, oh, this guy's, this guy can fight. Like, yeah. this guy's a badass. And it's he, like seamless. And then he, as he makes his way through, yeah, you see, he's got the, he sees the, the presence locator on the guy's wrist and some dude just beating the shit out of his face. And it's like, oh, what the hell? Like, you already find him and, and it turns out to be, a, it turns out to be a crazy and a future character that pops up in pretty much almost all of John Carpenter's films, that old guy. 
So I like that. I like that whole scene. It just had a lot of mood to it, and it, it really set up. It gave you more about the character Snake. Yeah, I always wish that there was a little bit more more of that kind of stuff in the film. You know what I mean? Like you get the the good stuff with the crazies, and then like you get that scene, you get the crazies, and then it kind of slows down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's I wish you would have got a little more of that like a chase film, like that sense of urgency. Yeah. And stuff I agree because like I feel like there is one if there is one thing that hurts this film the most. And it's gonna go into my review too. Is just um, it does not have a capable villain. The Duke is not. Yeah, you know, I don't. I he's he's almost in the background. He's not really. He doesn't. It's not, he doesn't have that diehard fi- feel. Yeah, like oh man, mano y mano, a guy just as badass as Snake. Plus, he kind of seems like a dude in the background, like he's running shit. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he's shooting a gun at the fucking president. I mean, that's that his one moment to look like a real badass. I just feel like. It's yeah, his his, his 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 hench, his henchman with the crazy hair was more of a yes. uh, yeah. a, a scary villain. And he and dies in such a <laughs> oh, you mean in such Steve, an unnat like uh, s- go on. You mean Steve Buscemi's portrayal of Rufio? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if it's like if Christopher Walken fucked Steve Buscemi, they had a kid. It would have been this guy who's really into the Peter Pan yeah. movie. Yeah. Really, in, really into the I would new book. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and throw a little bit of uh, what's his name from uh, Fright Night in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, who, what was that character's name? Oh, uh, t- Tommy. Evil, evil, evil. Yeah, evil. evil Ed. Right. Is it evil Ed? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's Isaac Hayes. He just doesn't. He doesn't talk a lot. And yeah, like, and you know, it's funny. Like, I, I mentioned. I think I might have mentioned this to Cody earlier before we started recording. But uh, so I watched this movie with my girlfriend, and she never seen it before. And when we were done, like, one of the big takeaways she had is like, "Who's the Duke? Why is the Duke?" the the king of new york like what is his like rise to power what's his pa- how how did he become the duke like he put she didn't feel like on the front she, of his car yeah she felt like she didn't get enough to be like why is this guy so yeah, strong and so it, feared it's really confusing too because why okay so that scene where he's driving in the car why is the duke sitting in the passenger seat and then the henchman sitting in the back when i saw this film again i was like oh wait i thought wait he's a duke no that's that's how the duke do i guess duke needs to be but, in the front it just seems like an odd thing to do. Normally, if you're the badass, you're kind of like people well, drive you me. Get, you you do, know? No, no, because you get the sense that he. Uh, another reason I say that is the is the end. Um, you get the sense that he is the badass that everyone should be afraid of when he's just fucking plowing through mines and has no idea where they are in his car and like is not worried about death. He's just yeah. But then he gets shot by the president. Him. In such a kind of like, there's no real battle between him and no. Snake. No, there, like, I, I I agree with you. I feel like I feel like for as 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 much a badass that Snake Plissken is, it would have been cool to have an equally badass villain so that they can kind of go toe to. But it makes total sense for the president to get the final shot in there and basically kill him because he's just he's about the whole film being tortured by this guy. Oh, I agree. It's a cool it's a cool thing to see that happen. It's just if you think and plus about it's Donald Pleasant's like yeah. Yeah. snapping into insanity for a minute or two. <laughs> yeah, you're can right. We, can we talk about Donald Pleasant's reactions in this film? Okay. They are pretty corny, yeah. in my opinion. They're like really over overacted, I felt. Really? To the point where I was like, look at these faces that he's making. This is weird. Like I didn't feel like I didn't feel like he had enough that the only time where I felt like he was he was overacting was that last scene but it worked for his character like i don't feel like he was see cause, yeah because i think like... actually I, I i i think i think donald pleasance is actually one of the one of the best acted characters because yep. that last scene yes, where snake goes i just want a moment of your time so we got you out 
and a lot of good people had to die. I just want to know how he felt about that. And he is so good at yep. snapping into, well, yeah, I'd like to thank them for sure. Are we on the air yet? Okay. And he just kind of blows that entire question off. I 100% is- agree with that scene. But leading up to that point, I just, I yeah, it was distracting for me to watch his like reactions to the situation. Really? Mm-hmm. I like the whole cast of this movie. I, I have a hard time picking out like someone that I thought was... Yeah, I think the one that's the weakest is Isaac Hayes. And he's not an actor. Yeah. That's probably why. I, I, I could, yeah, that's, I wanted to say that, too. I mean, he's the only guy that isn't really an actor. Yeah. Um, What's his name who plays... Uh, uh, no, who plays Hawk. Oh. Oh, Lee uh, Van Lee, Cleef, motherfucker? Lee Van Cleef is fucking phenomenal in this film, mm-hmm. man. Oh, you should explore more of his films then. Like, I am... He's I, a spaghetti western fucking uh, uh, hero of this. He's great. He's fucking fantastic. Ernest Borgnine is great. Ernest Borgnine is awesome. He's um, always great. Adrian uh, Barbu. Barbo? Yep. Barboobs? She's she's great in it, too. Dude, I... Lo- okay, let me tell you something. There's one thing about this movie that I fucking absolutely 100% love. That puts it up there for me too. Is she does not fall for Snake. No, mm-hmm. she's it's, it's and very I, and I love it that there's really no love interest in this movie for him because he's got a fucking mission to do and he ain't got time for that. Well, if you, if you count chock full of nuts, girl. <laughs> but that's funny. I actually thought that was hilarious how that turned out because it makes you think, oh, this is gonna be like a sidekick girl, yeah. like somebody he falls for, and then she just gets like ripped away from him, and he has to like defend <laughs> he just himself. Books it. Yeah. He's like, all right, that sucks for you. I'm out. No, but she's yeah. great, and I and I like that. Um, so a- as I understand it from from the 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 backstory of the film. Uh, the Duke gives her to Harry Dean Stanton yes. to brain as some sort of gift, yeah. and yet, in a weird way, she she really does come to love him in real life mm-hmm. to the point where she fucking man, does she die in such an awesome, yes, awesome way? That scene yeah. is fucking. Yeah, I was like, great. whoa, like it's a great scene. The fact that she, you know, she's like, I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna fucking yeah, I'm gonna end this, and then he just gets hit by that car. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rough hit. Like, yeah, that's a fast hit. Yeah. That was a fast hit. Why are we talking? I have a deal for you. You receive full pardon for every criminal action you've committed in the United States. It was an accident. About an hour ago, a small jet went down inside New York City. The president was on board. President of what? That's not funny, Pliskin. All right, guys, we're back. We're talking about Escape from New York. John Carpenter direct this, JC. Um, and fitting on Easter. Um, <laughs> I wanted to get into some dislikes, uh, and if I have one dislike uh, that I that just bothers me throughout the whole film, like Snake Plissken, yes, is I, an iconic character, but it's really just a Kurt Russell impression of Clint Eastwood. That <laughs> oh man, it just it bugs the hell out of me. I don't know why he just did his best impression of Clint Eastwood, who I think. They wanted for this film at some point. Um, I know Charles Bronson was mentioned for this film. Mm. Um, Clint Eastwood was mentioned for this film. There's another actor too who was mentioned for this film. Is that like maybe like a theme of his, uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell? <laughs> Just, he, like he goes into films and he's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do a John Wayne impression throughout the entire film where I where I fight uh, kung fu wielding bad guys and and ancient evil minions. <laughs> I, I know that. I mean, that's what he did. 
Like yeah, yeah, he might become he might, a little China. It's just a John Wayne impression. Might draw inspiration. May, well, him and Carpenter are pretty close, so I'd imagine Carpenter has some influence over what impression he does. I don't, I don't know if I would. <laughs> I don't know if I would say. I don't know if I'd say Jack Burton is a is a. I definitely Snake Plissken is definitely Clint Eastwood. No, he's de- like, pulled from Clint like Eastwood, but Jack it. Burton, I got like I don't get much Clint Eastwood from him. No, John Wayne. No, no, John said. Wayne. Oh, from John Wayne. Yeah, I would say yeah. I could see that. Yeah, like he said it in interviews. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Kurt Russell, he pulls from uh, he pulls from good sources. The greats, yeah, he does. But I mean, it just kind of bothers me a little bit in yeah. this movie. I like, mean, it adds to his mis- m- you know, the mystery about him and stuff for sure. But I mean, I get where you're coming from too. It's just kind of, I'm gonna talk like this. The yeah, whole movie. the whole movie. And is is there yeah. like a kind of maybe there's not, and I just made it up in my head. But like, is it like a thing like with like Snake Plissken being kind of a small guy? Like, cause he's not really like that jacked or ripped. He's not like he doesn't look like he's that athletic. He's a trained. What fighter, do you mean man? he doesn't look like he's that athletic? He, he was in good shape. He really yeah. didn't look like that. He didn't have dad bod. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't running around in dad bod. I just like... ima- I don't know. I imagine somebody a little bit more, you know. But uh, which I, I I liked that he didn't come off as like too big to me. But then when they put him next to what's his fucking name in the ring? Well, that guy's like yeah, that dude's like seven the foot largest tall. man. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that was just kind. Of, I don't know. Brother. That kind of made me chuckle a little bit. I was the- like, oh. Russell, yeah, but you know what? Small. He still he still whooped his ass. What's yeah, with si- size doesn't matter, man? What's with Kurt Russell and boots? What do you mean? What do you like mean? the boots in this film are mentioned. Like the boots, you gotta you can't help but look at the boots in uh, Big Trouble <laughs> Little China. I love those boots. They got, just, they got a hidden knife pocket. Like it's like it's just boots, man. <laughs> I don't know. He's all about the boots. It's all about the boots. <laughs> he builds his, I feel like he builds his character from the ground up. First thing we gotta do yep. is start with a nice boot. Yeah. When you're an urban <laughs> urban warrior, you gotta wear boots. <laughs> it's a necessity in or in urban warfare. So you need a good boot. <laughs> I would say if I had something, if I, if I had something to 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 gripe about this film. It's just that um, I wish I got a little bit more, um, like a, a little bit more fast-paced, um, yeah. you know, adventure from it. Like, because uh, I think Mike mentioned it, or when you guys mentioned it earlier, it's, it's true. Like the movie, de- definitely, like when he when he meets Brain, the movie definitely takes a uh, a lull. It slows down, and it kind of the pacing the pacing gets a little uh, rough. It doesn't, yeah. It it doesn't seem like there's, um, like that that sense of urgency disappears when we you meet. Brian. Yeah, for for that for that scene, it, it basically it, that sense of urgency is gone until he gets till, till Snake gets in the ring with with that big ass dude and fights him, and then from that point forward, that energy and that 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 action that pace picks up again. But there there's definitely just a slight lull in them, which I mean that's me like I'm like stretching here because even that stuff it doesn't bother me because I feel like there's enough interesting stuff that is happening that but i just wish there was a little bit more like snake plissken action going through the burned out new york city a little bit more i agree i think that if there was a like it's weird it's i want to see snake plissken be a little bit more of a badass and then like it was brought up before like the duke is just not a good enough villain like when you that's another problem i have is like when your hero is, is the coolest guy like you got to have a pretty extravagant villain, and you mm-hmm. didn't. I mean, you got chandeliers on a car. Like it's not. <laughs> and he had extra- uh, he had bags. Yeah, he had ba- he had bags in his car. Like so I feel could... like the uh, what's his name in uh, the Warriors was even more. You know, yeah. had more character I to agree. him. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I, I. But I do agree. Like I feel like my biggest complaint with this film is the pacing. Like I even feel like it took a little while to get going. You know, like yeah, before he actually gets to New York. Um, 
and I noticed there's just not a lot of dialogue in this movie. Like, really, there isn't. There isn't certain parts, but there's a lot of, you know, five-minute sequences where he's just kind of wandering through the city and, like, not really... See, but I think that that's... No, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it took a little bit to get into it. And then it when it did, uh-huh. it was like, fuck yeah, and then it, you know, kind of slowed down. And then, of course, at the end, picks up again, so... It's a roller coaster. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Stayed on that downslope for a little I, too I long. I mean, I, I think I kind of... I, I think Mike was going to disagree with you on the, the lack of dialogue. Yeah, I think it's part of his... And it's part of the character. Yeah. It's part of the what what, what makes him him. Because I mean, he, he you talks look at softly and carries a big stick. I yes, mean, that's and like, that that's like, like any thing. any like good antihero. And if he is pulling from Clint Eastwood, then all you need then all you have to do is go watch Fistful of Dollars. And Clint Eastwood has how many lines of dialogue? And there are four words at max. Like <laughs> you know, they're they're few and far between. But when he what he says is impactful. You know, it, he. He doesn't speak just to speak. He only speaks if he has something to say, right. which makes it, I think makes a really cool character. It's almost like painful for him to speak. You know, he has to really use it when it's <laughs> when it's important. Painful for him yeah. to speak. No, and that's fine. And but you know, even just as a film, not just Pliskin's character, I felt like you know, it just kind of yeah, kind of kind of took you on a journey without a lot of exposition. Yeah. I want to talk about one more other thing about Snake Plissken as a character, and it's something that I really like about him, although they don't really dive into it so much as, like, say, like a film like Indiana Jones does. Mm. I get the impression that Snake Plissken, when he goes home, doesn't see himself as a badass, that he knows that, like, I've gotten through a lot. Yeah, it's a true, sheer it's a true, luck. A true anti-hero. He's right, not... but his, like, his reputation precedes him mm-hmm. to every room that he goes into because, like, it's... Uh, what I like, there's that scene where he he goes up against a, 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 a what is it? I think it, it, it does he have like a like a like a what is it called a spear gun or some shit? Like I don't know. That? Every gun has a scope on oh, it. Oh, it's though, like a crossbow. Movie. Yeah, it's like a crossbow. That's what I meant. Yeah, where he gets shot like in the like leg or something. Yeah, and it it kind of shows him as like a really like vulnerable character. Mm-hmm. Like he's not. It opens up with him beating the crap out of those guys like one punch. Yeah, but then it also shows that like yeah he'll like he's probably been shot a few times. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, an inch here, an inch there. It would have been the end of Snake. Yeah, then everybody would be like, "Yeah, Snake Plissken died." Yeah, like I do feel like he is the type of character that everybody says, "Like, oh my god, he's such a badass." When he walks back, he's like, "I can't believe I got out of that alive." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, one of the things too, before uh, we get into our ratings, that I wanted to talk about because I thought it was great, and it's another like carper carpenterism that um, we were talking about, where he doesn't give you too much detail is the end of the film mm. where uh, Snake's just walking away and ripping up the tape. Yeah. And you're like, what was on there? Like, what was so important? Yeah. And, like, you don't ever get to know, which I think is really cool. They you can, no, They did play it. There was a moment where they seconds. seconds. Yeah. yeah. It definitely has... It, no, wait. Isn't the whole idea about... They were talking about the Cold Fusion thing. There's something about that. Was, I, I imagine it had something to do with, like... Uh, unlimited ki- energy. Some kind of energy thing. That's what normally energy thing. Cold yeah. Fusion is normally... But no, I I loved it too, and and what I loved the most about that scene is Snake gave the president an opportunity to prove that he was worth it or prove that he cared. Because I feel like if the president gave a different answer, he would have been like, here's the actual tape. Right. He's like, you might need this. And since the president gave him some bullshit answer like, fuck the people who had to die to get me out, I was more important, which I'm sure harkens back to 
Snake Plissken being in the military and just kind of that kind of understanding of like you lose good men and it seems like nobody gives a shit type of thing. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of like, all right, cool. Lights another cigarette, walks away and just starts ripping up the tape like, fuck you. Yeah, I love Fuck that. the rest of the world, you know? No, and I also like it too because it, ma- it, it made me go like, okay, what is the, like, where does it go from here? Because obviously he's got, they're going to come after him for the fucking ripping up this tape or having this tape. Like this tape was that important. Yeah. And then- it just goes to crazy. It was so. It was so funny. <laughs> You're talking about Donald Pleasant's reactions. Like I, th- I feel like that reaction was the funniest because it's just kind of cold. <laughs> it just starts playing like fucking big band jazz music, and he's just staring like, uh... <laughs> fuck. That made me laugh. But yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I like. I want to know like where it goes next, and you know. Yeah. All right, let's rate this Mammer Jammer. Kyle, what are we rating it? Oh, we're going to rate it uh, Cobra Tattoos. Cobra Tattoos? How many are you getting put on your body? Let's find out. <laughs> uh, let's start with... Oh, you know what? I'll go first. I'll give everybody a, a little breather here. Uh, I'm going to give this... Man, it's tough for me. I, I Part of me wants to give it a five, but... I don't know, with the Snake Plissken and the pacing um, and just being the Clint Eastwood ripoff, I just want something more. Um, those are my two biggest gripes about this film. I'm going to have – I'll give it a, a, a four. Um, solid, solid four. Solid four, though. Like, everything else I love about this film, like, from, like, just the creative filmmaking to creating your own hero to um, – the story itself and how fun that is. Look, even the movies that rip this movie off are great. Mm-hmm. Like Lockout is a great movie, and it it is a it's this movie in space. Yeah, like I think they even got sued or something for it. Like I think they did. Yeah. So I mean, that tells you how good of a film this is. Like even when the ripoffs are good, like you know you got a, a good movie. But solid four for me. Watch it if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, what the hell's wrong with you? Uh, one yeah, what's wrong with you? Great John, great John Carpenter movie. Just one of those ones that's highly influential, and Kurt Russell still love him, even though it's not my favorite character of his. Mike, I'm gonna give this film a uh, four, four snake tattoos. Uh, and it, and it really boils down to the villain. Like I just, yeah, that's the, like the one like real weak part about this. It's just like okay, I mean. It, there's no real, there's not a big level of conflict in it. I mean, it's it's you know the big the biggest villain in fucking Snake Plissken's life in this film is just that clock. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like just watching the times tick down. Like everything yeah. else is just incidental. And the Duke, if the Duke was somebody that was a little bit more, uh, I guess badass for lack of a better word, I think it would have been better. And and it, and it, and it, you need. I feel like you need that when you have a character like Snake Plissken. You know, like I said, going back, that's what makes Die Hard so good. Yeah. All the good diehards because the villain's good. Yeah. If you take away the villain, it's just John McClane going through some shit, I guess, you know? Yeah, because um, I feel like if you have a good villain, then there's actual stakes at risk. Huge stakes. Yeah. And that's another thing. There were no stakes in this. That no one there was no situation where Snake was fighting for somebody he cared about, where it, like people were threatening him with anything other than we might kill you, but Snake goes through life pretty much like, Well, I mean I could die tomorrow, I I guess, you know. That's that's the one thing, um, but other than that, man, just like it's shot well, it's, it's an iconic character. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's one of one of um, Carpenter's best films, even in execution. Definitely, um, but not as good as uh, Big Trouble in China. 
<laughs> still my number one right now, I think. Well, the thing. But yeah. We haven't got to that yet. We haven't got, we to, haven't that got yet. to that Don't yet. worry, it's coming. Yep. Yeah. Chris? Yeah, I'm going to give this a four also. Um, I just have, yeah, just those couple of gripes, the pacing and... You know Donald Pleasance's uh, unnatural facial features and reactions. Donald Pleasance's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was fun to revisit it. You know, it's um, it kind of reminded me of the Warriors. You know, too, which which I like. Um, kind of blended these these cool ideas. Interesting how you know how poignant uh, some of John Carpenter's writing can be, and uh, I just. You know, I would recommend this film. It's a classic. I mean, Snake Plissken is a classic, iconic character that will probably live live on, you know, in film history. Not just cult film history, but film history. And, uh, you know, this, this film just proves that John Carpenter is a master at what he does to write, direct, pro- pretty much produce, you know, score, like, everything and always do a solid job. The fact that you can tell you're watching a John Carpenter film when it first comes on, you know, it's like he's just a master at what he does. And this is uh, definitely one of the more important films, I think, that he's he's uh, put out there. Kyle. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm going to give this movie. Um, first of all, I, I'm going to give it uh, four Cobra tattoos. The movie um, does. The, the only thing that I call out is does suffer from, I think. Um, a little bit of a pacing issue and going to Mike's point, um, you know, I think the, the, the villain, the Duke, you know, leaves a little bit to be desired for sure. Um, the film is executed wonderfully. It is shot, written, scored. Um, it's just, it's John Carpenter all over. It's, it's his trademark tone, mood, everything. And, and I love it for that. Um, I'm going to give it an extra one point for, childhood nostalgia because i fucking love this movie i've loved it since the first time i've seen it and though there are things that i can call out and say meh these are the they're forgivables because the character and the film has definitely had like an impact on my life in some way so it's definitely getting that extra bump to get to the full five rating five cobras and um you know i'm excited to see because you know just was recently announced robert rodriguez will be remaking this film so I'm excited to see what happens with him. And if you, are you? I am because you know what? Of all the of all the other remakes, John Carpenter's this is this this is how I'm excited. So two things came out in the last few months, which is John Carpenter endorsed a Halloween remake, and he's endorsed an Escape from New York remake. He has never endorsed any remake ever. All he said is, "I put my hand out, and they put a check in it, and that's it." So the fact that he's endorsing it makes me excited. Um. And if you want to know how into Snake Plissken I, I am, you can just look at the Cult Film Interview poster. And, of course, I'm, I'm you know, dressed up as Snake Plissken in that, which I think says a lot about my love for the film and the history of it. So, yeah, it's getting five Cobra tattoos for me. It's, let me ask you this, though. I just got to follow up on something, though. Are you are you excited with Robert Rodriguez at, at the helm of, of a why, remake? I mean, yeah, why? I, I feel safe about it. I don't. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't you be? <clears throat> I don't. Name I don't a film. Feel... Name a film that you don't like of his. What's he done recently? The the damn. Uh, what was the the not the including third... the Spy Kids movie? No, no, yeah. the third uh, Desperado Machete? movie and Machetes. I'm not a Wait, fan of either. Once Upon a Time in Mexico is a good. That's film. a solid I'm fucking not a, movie. Not and, a fan and of that movie. I'll be honest with you. I liked Machete two more than I liked Machete one. 
Yeah, those are the only two actually of his I haven't seen. Yet. I haven't watched either of the Machete movies. I thought the first Machete movie, I I, I was like, eh. But, but the it, second one, I, I remember walking out of that theater and being like, so bad. I think his Grindhouse <laughs> entry, Planet Terror, was pretty solid. Yeah, uh, I, I, solid I believe. Yeah. I believe if you look, if you if you look at the character of El Mariachi. There are tons of cues of Snake Plissken that he's pulled and brought into it, and he's a notable fanboy of it. So I'm just excited that there is a director who has worked in low-budget action adventure films who has a, a passion a, a passion for the character and wanting to do it right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a chance. Who, do you, who would you want to play... Yeah, I was just thinking Snake that. Plissken. I, okay, no, wow, I'm Kurt Russell. <laughs> I want old Snake. I, I, I'd rather have old Snake versus a I new Snake. Don't see why they can't. I would do old man Snake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would no, do like I old mean, man why Logan. Not? He like doesn't look man. that much different. He honestly. doesn't. We, like, we've already. He's already. Do, he's still doing shit. Yeah, he just was in the new Fast and Furious yeah, movie. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I would totally take old man Snake over new Snake, but I don't know. That's that's a that's something that. You know, Rodriguez is really going to have to. <laughs> that's going to be the biggest challenge, I think, of doing this because there, I don't feel like there's any obvious choice out there. Shia LaBeouf. Oh, oh I, I would. I, I would just quit. Film, I would quit film altogether if that happened. Be like, it's, you know what? What's there the is point? no God. What's the point? <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be tough. I think it would probably be what's his name uh, from Thor. Thor. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you oh. know what? If I had to pick anyone, you know, I'll take this back. If I had to pick anyone. Um, it would be fuck. What can I remember his name? God, Chris, Chris Hensworth. No, no, the <laughs> who played who played Max? Ma- uh, you mean Mad Max? Yeah. Oh, um, um, oh yeah, that's a great choice. Uh, not uh, Sam Worthington. What's no, his name? Uh, God the, damn the it, the fucking British dude. Uh, who played, played Bane. Bane. Tom Hardy. Tom yes, Hardy. Thank you. Yes, Hardy. Tom great Hardy choice. would probably be the only person that I'd be. Wow, that's a good choice. I'd be cool with. I like that. He could that's do a it. Good, He's that's a really great. great I, I feel like he proved himself with Mad Max: Fury Road of have of of being that character that says nothing but says a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. That's a great choice. Uh, thanks for joining us for our hundredth episode. I will speak for all of us when I say we really, really appreciate you guys listening. Um, it's surreal to us that people listen to us talk about movies because we do this when you, no one's listening, anyways. Yeah. Um, and I will just say, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, rate us five stars. It helps us out so much just to get noticed. Um, we've been doing this for two goddamn years. Um, <laughs> so I'm angry about it. And no one's noticed. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you guys have all noticed, and we, like I said before, really appreciate that. But just please leave us a review. You can follow us on social media at cultfilm underscore review on Instagram and Twitter. You can also follow us on Facebook. You can follow Kyle at... Ooh, you can follow me on Instagram at cultfilm underscore Kyle. You can follow Chris at... Oh, that was so <laughs> bad. I loved mine. I'm the one that loves it the most, and you give me the wimpiest one. Damn right. Cultfilm Chris under... Cultfilm <laughs> underscore Chris on Instagram. 100 episodes, Chris is still a professional. <laughs> you can follow my guy... Uh, you can follow me at Mike Solucio on Twitter. And you can follow me at VHS Collect on Instagram. That's our show for this week, guys. Remember, if you're going to join a cult, make sure they watch good movies. See you next week.